Hi, I'm your host, Mark Stenson. In addition to these podcast interviews, I facilitate patient-doctor listening research, known as Innovate Groups. These panels have four patients and four doctors and provide an opportunity to observe and improve the interactions that lie at the heart of effective health care. I've created an ebook on this Innovate Group method, and I'd like to offer you a download. It includes real-life case studies to underscore the power of better patient-doctor listening. So visit biosciencebridge.com to download your ebook, Innovate Group Revolutions. Now, before I welcome today's guest, here's a familiar voice on an important health topic. Hi, I'm Leslie Odom Jr. And today I'm not singing, not acting, none of that actually. But I'm here to tell you one very important thing. Patients with sickle cell disease need our blood. In fact, one in three African-American blood donors is a match for a person living with sickle cell. When you donate blood, you save lives. Visit redcrossblood.org slash ourblood to make your appointment to donate today. Welcome to The Patient Speak, healthcare innovations accelerating the patient journey. Featuring interviews with healthcare leaders and patient advocates. Here's your host, best-selling author, Mark Stinson. Welcome back, friends and colleagues, to our second season of our podcast, The Patients Speak. We're continuing our interviews with healthcare executives and patient advocates, even clinical researchers, about what we need to know when the patients speak. And my guest today has a great perspective on that, and he's Dr. Jay Shaw. Jay, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Mark. Thanks for having me. Yes. And Jay's background includes being a senior medical director at the Mayo Medical Center and Portland Medical Center before that. And now he's the chief medical officer with a great company called Actia. And they're doing some great work in the area of hypertension and uh, heart monitoring and helping the doctors uh, determine diagnosis and treatment. And uh, Jay, we definitely want to get into that uh, technology and that innovation. But I think I'd like to start with this idea of where the patients are driving the healthcare dialogue these days. I heard you recently say that we're moving from a sort of health-centric, maybe a health system-centric to a patient advocate, patient-centered, even patient-driven system. I wondered if you could expand on that and what we need to hear when the patients are speaking. Yeah, I think it's a journey that healthcare has evolved over the probably the last 30 years. When when I refer to healthcare as healthcare centric means that in the last 100 years up until maybe 25 years ago or so, everything revolved around the physician and the physician organization or healthcare organization. So you had to go to the physician on their time at their choosing per their hours in their location. Everything was very rigid and formatted for the to run to make the healthcare organization run as best as it could. About 25 years ago, maybe plus minus, people started coming up with the idea of a patient-centered approach. And the difference between patient healthcare-centered, which I, I think I probably made up that term, but that's what it was, <laughs> and patient-centered is that patient-centered meant that within the confines of traditional healthcare systems, they tried to design the system to put the patient in the center of it. So still controlled by the actual healthcare system, the physicians and the organizations built around them, the patient was supposed to be in the center and was supposed to access every part of the healthcare organization 
but with sort of their them in the in the middle of it, so to speak. But still, in the healthcare system, in the traditional context and model, within the walls of a traditional healthcare system. So that's the idea of patient-centered care. And that term has been thrown around for a long time now, 20, 25 some odd years. And when I say patient-driven, I think the way technology has evolved and the way the world is going with the sort of lack of access to care in many, most parts of the world, the sort of the healthcare systems have been overwhelmed with capacity. And you can see that from top to bottom, from the highest level to the most resource poor settings, that that really, I think in the future, the way healthcare has to move is that the patient themselves controls the majority of the sort of interactions between themselves and the healthcare system. And that's what I mean by patient-driven. They theoretically can control a lot of their data. They can, they can drive the timing of when they want to access care. Eventually, when we finally get to truly transparent pricing models, you can actually start picking out in comparing, like we do with everything else, how am I going to purchase care that's right for me at the right level at the right time? And a lot of those things are future state. But that's really what I think about when I when we say when I say patient driven. And at Actia, that's a lot of what we think about as putting the patient in the driver's seat in terms of empowering them with their own data and enabling them to really be the leader in their own care journey. And the physician in the healthcare system as a partner in that journey, of course, but as a partner, not the primary driver of that. Yes. And obviously that makes sense to all of us who are patients. Everyone's a patient. That makes sense to everyone. It's just a matter of both time and uh, technology has now come. We're at the right sort of time for that shift to occur, I think. Yes. And I appreciate you walking us through that because you're, you've not only observed this and you're describing it, but you lived it. You worked through this shift. And I'm curious the implications. I'm not sure every patient was prepared to have this thrust upon them. I'm not sure every physician was prepared for a patient-driven system. So what training, what adaptations, what uh, changes do we as patients need to make if we're going to actually drive? It started with, you're going to have to call the insurance company to negotiate this yourself. And now we have a medical uh, file that we have to access and make sure all the tests are in there and so forth. So there's a lot more involved and there's a lot more at stake for the patient to be driving you know, their own health, isn't there? Yeah, I don't think any of this is necessarily new, meaning that the, the intricacies and the difficulties of accessing healthcare. I think anyone who's interfaced with the healthcare mm-hmm. system in almost any country can well understand that. It's now, but now we have a point at that which technology has really enabled us to access so much more of our own data and to start to control it. Now, I'm not saying we're there yet by any means, for sure. In, in even just in the practice of medicine, I would say still many health systems are still living in a healthcare-centric world and that patient-centered sort of middle ground, although a lot of people talk about it, I don't know how re- how much of a reality that is today across the board, but I think patients are really looking for that for that control and desiring that control because healthcare systems have such a lack of ability have and it has become this way have a lack of ability to really serve the needs of patients where they are and on their time and at at their cho- at, at on demand basically. 
And patients, people are used to that now, right? We get on-demand everything. You get on-demand stuff comes to your door uh, with Amazon. You get stuff, food delivery to your door. You can access nearly everything on apps and smartphones and devices. That's the way the world has gone. But one aspect that really hasn't moved with the times is healthcare. And of course, healthcare is always slow to catch up to technology because of all kinds of regulatory and other logistical reasons. But the truth is, slowly but surely it's going to move there mm-hmm. and it's very it's a very messy process so it's not something's going to you know become clear very quickly and there'll be lots of fits and starts and this endeavor will come and go and that one will come and go and this company will try it and that it's going to be messy but that's the reality of progress but i think that's really where things go in the future and especially for when we think about it at actias when we were thinking primarily about hypertension which we can talk about in much more detail, but it's a chronic disease. It's a disease that's there all the time, 365 days a year, every day, every week, every month. And it's something that that the person themselves, the patient themselves is really in the position to do the most about it rather than the physician that you might see once or twice a year for 15 minutes. Yes. So it's really allowing that person and empowering them with the right tools and data to take control of that aspect of their healthcare. Yeah. Let's continue to drill down on that. The company that you're working with now at Kia is uh, in the area of hypertension. And what a great fit uh, for your background in thoracic and aortic conditions. But when you think of these complex medical and heart conditions, hypertension is the most basic of them all. This is not literally rocket science. Everybody's got a blood pressure problem, probably, but it's a billion person condition. So what is digital health and what is Actia working on to improve the patient journey in hypertension? Yeah. Yeah. I saw this as as a practicing cardiologist. This is, as you said, the most basic input into all significant cardiovascular diseases. And it's a problem that really pretty much everyone in the world is going to have to deal with either themselves or a loved one. 1.4 billion people in the world have it. 130 million Americans have it. One in two adults over the age of 65 have it. It is the most common chronic disease. It is the most common uh, risk factor for death and disease in the world. And everybody is aware of it generally, high blood pressure, high hypertension. Oh yeah, sure. My dad has that. My mom has that. I have that. But And we know how to treat it. There's plenty of cheap, ready, available medications. But despite all those things and all that knowledge, the global control rates of high blood pressure is 20%, Hmm. which means only one in five people who have high blood pressure actually have their blood pressure under control. And in the United States, it's not much better. It's 26%. Even though we know all about it and how to treat it and what's how important it is, we're really not very good at doing it. And the Actia really has come about as a founded by two biomedical engineers that really are pioneers in their field of optical signal processing, which means that they take, they've developed a capacity to take optical signals from a wearable device on your wrist and turn those signals into validated and accurate blood pressure readings without you having to put on a cuff or sit in a very uh, certain position and do all the things that are required to take a blood pressure. So essentially it has come about that they've developed the world's first continuous blood pressure monitor, where as long as you just wear the device, it'll passively, automatically, and continuously measure blood pressure over time. And one of the sort of biggest gaps in blood pressure that everybody knows 
how to take a blood pressure with a cuff. You inflate it, it goes down, it gives you a reading, gives you one time, one point reading at that very moment in time. But the thing about blood pressure is that blood pressure does its damage over long periods of time. Not one, one, one minute, not one hour, not even one day or one week. But how long is your blood pressure outside the optimal range over months, years, decades? So the idea of measuring it at one point in time historically has only been the way that technologies have developed. But Actia's primary innovation allows us to look at that person's blood pressure pattern over long periods of time and really is much more consistent with estimating risk from blood pressure values and data. Yeah, such That's a good really point. the core innovation. And I think about what you said about all day long, and as I and uh, I'm going back now, so I'm not current on the science, but understanding circadian rhythms that our blood pressure spikes in the first thing in the morning, right? If I go to the doctor at three o'clock in the afternoon, I have no idea what 7 a.m. might have looked like. No. And even if you go to the doctor at 3 p.m., at 4 p.m., it's something different. Your blood pressure is continuously fluctuating. And again, it's this idea that that is false and has been well debunked, that people have a stable blood pressure. Oh, I took it once and it was 120 over 80, so I'm good, right? We have no idea. The next day, the next minute, the next hour, it could be 140 over 90. And it, or and the next morning, it's something else. And the next three hours later, it's, so there's this continuous pattern. And so our technology, Actia's unique technology, allows for aggregation of all that data over long periods of time with the footprint of a very easy wearable so that people can wear this for months and years and really get a better sense of their overall blood pressure driven risk, which in truth, blood pressure doesn't drive just cardiovascular risk, heart attack, stroke, eye problems, kidney problems, aortic aneurysms, even related to diabetes, erectile dysfunction, sexual dysfunction, pregnancy related. There's so many things that blood pressure has, are, is an input into and the only way to understand those risks are, are to really see that pattern over long periods of time. Mm -hmm. And how is this different or an advance over, we can see the wearable around our wrists that everybody's jogged with. How is this uh, different and, and uh, about yeah, that? So the, the, the wearables that exist on the market just measure usually heart rate and uh, oxygen, uh, pulse ox. And those are, most of them are not regulated devices, but every blood pressure monitor in the world is a regulated medical device. So the difference is there's a much higher standard of accuracy and validation that has to be met before any regulatory agency will approve a device to measure blood pressure. And the reason is heart rate and oxygen levels are important physiologic parameters, but they are not the primary input into a diagnosis of any one disease. Blood pressure, on the other hand, is the primary input into the world's most common disease. So it is very important that there is there are high standards, high bar to clear for accuracy and validation. And we have done that work over the last, well, our founders have started that work almost two, 20 years ago. And over the last five years that the company's been in existence, we have continuously pushed the bar on proving our accuracy and showing and describing and being very public about you know, where we are really good and where we need to get better.
Yes. Um, that's really well, let me important. Put this in the context then of what we were talking about, health system driven versus patient driven. From a commercial standpoint, how do you see a device like this gaining traction? Do you see it, I'll say prescribed from the physician's office, or do you see the consumer demand? I can tell you in the so we're in seven markets already. And in the EU, we have about 50,000 active users. And the most, the easiest, fastest traction, area of traction is in the direct-to-patient market, direct-to-consumer, because they are looking for a better solution. It's just, it is fairly clear from the traction that people don't like using cuffs. They don't use them very often, but they want the information. And so a, a better, easier faster way to really look at, manage, and optimize your blood pressure is of great interest to them. But on the other side, we are also, and it's not, you do not require a prescription for it. Okay, It's sold over the counter or direct from our website. But on the other side, there are clear benefits to enterprise customers as well. Research organizations, pharmaceutical companies, academic medical centers, high-level healthcare centers are, are all looking for better ways to manage larger populations of patients and really understand their blood pressure better and in more efficient way. And that's exactly what we provide. So we have solutions both for direct-to-patient, but we also have solutions for direct-to-enterprise customers in, in almost every type of enterprise customer across healthcare. Yes. And as you mentioned, CROs and uh, pharma, I was thinking about the listeners who might be in clinical trials. Um, mm -hmm. I, I could see a device like this being useful to monitor patients' uh, many parameters. So many different things are, are of value to CROs and pharmaceutical companies, not the least of which is just getting good data and getting it routinely and getting it frequently and minimizing the chance of patient dropout or lack of data for their patients. These are usually very incredibly complex and expensive studies. And if they need to or want to track a physiologic parameter like blood pressure, it is really of high value that they capture regular and routine data without a significant burden on the enrolled patient in that trial. Mm -hmm. And you're describing a whole category now of digital health devices. I think about lessons learned from CGMs. We're wearing continuous glucose monitoring uh, on our yeah. bicep there. Yeah, there's now neuromonitoring and muscle monitoring and mm -hmm. uh, all sorts of things. Where, where does the category as a whole go from here, do you think? It's interesting because there are so many different types of devices and more and more are being developed. I think what I think is likely to happen, it is that first of all, it's a very difficult thing to do. To develop a regulated medical device takes an incredible amount of focus, discipline, capital, investment, and and patience. And so I think a lot of times what we see, there's as I said, there's a lot of, it's messy. There's a lot of fits and starts and you'll see some flash in the pan stuff. You'll see some people who advertise a lot, but have little substance. So only those that actually really have good product market fit and have taken the time investment and patience to let the let their product develop really get to market. And even then, there are probably many that are highly valuable that actually don't get to market and that just get, you know, become insolvent because of the difficulties of 
getting through regulatory bodies and doing the very capital intensive work that needs to happen. Yes. So it's an incredibly difficult space is what I've learned over two years. It's so much easier to do something in a non-regulated space. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> when you're talking about healthcare, is not an option. It, it, it's not an option. If you right. want to do something meaningful in healthcare, you're going to have to play in that in that field. You just got to, you got to have great investors. You got to have a great board. You got to have great leaders and, and they all have to have patience because nothing happens that quickly. Yes. I'll put the information of the company in the show notes along with a link. It's called Actia. Dr. Shaw, let's bring this full circle now because I'd love to hear about how this kind of monitoring, this kind of device can improve a patient-driven journey. So bringing it back to the physician-patient dialogue, I always think about that magic moment of the encounter. Literally, a patient is in front of a doctor. That might be on a screen these days rather than in an office. However, they're talking face-to-face. -face. And I've often told people, I've talked to thousands of doctors across my career because of the work that I do, but I still get white coat anxiety and look right. at the doctor yeah. as the authority figure and my blood pressure goes up. But to say that the dialogue, the conversation, even the outcome then can be improved, how does a device like that contribute to this? Having done it tens of thousands of times myself, and that relationship between a physician and a patient, I think, starts and is built in person. It's pretty hard to do it if you've never met the person in the, in the physical setting. After that mutual bond and trust develops, which is honestly very difficult to do these days. So kudos to the physicians who are really trying, still trying for that. But it once that mutual bond and trust has developed, then, then you can be virtual visits, then you can do telephonic stuff and remote because you know who this person is. There's still very much a human element in medicine. As much as technology has really disrupted a lot of things, it doesn't really change the way people feel about other humans, usually. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's the first keys. We can't replace that relationship building. And without it, everything else isn't going to be as successful. So that first sort of initial visit or a couple of visits that it takes to develop that bond is one thing. But then technologies like ours and others that allow that patient to be, and that physician, to have a relationship that transcends beyond the office, but allows data sharing, allows information to be passed back and forth, not only makes it easier if it's done right, easier can be easier for both parties to do their work, but also I think can strengthen the bond, honestly, between patients and their healthcare team or their physician, because there's a sense of trust that, okay, it's not just in the 15, 20 minutes that I sit with this doctor that I actually get service or care. No, it's actually, it's, a, it's an ongoing relationship built and held by some technology, but I know that my physician is getting data that they, you know, hopefully want, and they are turning that around into insights and actions and helping me really optimize my own health. That's really the, the goal. So, so technology is all great, but the, the true goal is to help every single person optimize their health to the best of their ability. It's not, you can't solve everything. You can't take away all kinds, every risk. But what you can do is help that person, empower them with the data and the tools that they need to say, okay, I'm gonna be the best version of myself possible. And in healthcare, that means optimizing all the risks that I can 
and doing that in partnership with my physician and healthcare team. So that's yes. really how I see. Interesting. Uh, you've of, described a whole dynamic of having data outside that 15 minute office visit. And yeah. I can't tell you how many patients I've talked to who say, I just first wanted to be heard. And yeah. you've described using digital health and data uh, as a listening tool. Yes. Uh, it's a very interesting point of view. Yeah, I think that is, uh, again, it has to be done in a very thoughtful way because also as a physician, I people bring in all kinds of data that isn't validated, that has no scientific basis, but and there isn't enough information around it to really trust it. And so I think physician trust is paramount when you're developing these sort of innovative technologies. That's why we do all kinds of research studies and proofs that we bring to physicians say, look, this data is trustworthy because look at what we've done with it and look at what we've shown with this device. So that is a cornerstone of that trust. But I think patients are really wanting physicians to, to look at these sort of different types of data from different devices. As a physician, that's quite challenging. As, as people bring in all kinds of wearables and things and other pieces of information found wherever, and they say, don't you think this is important? And that's really hard to sort through. So what it does create for a lot of physicians is just a categorical, yeah, I'm not going to pay attention to that unless it's validated and accurate and I have a degree of trust around it. And there really aren't that many companies and, and devices outside of the large medical device sort of companies that go through the bother of going through many clinical trials and really proving that out. So it is really difficult. And that has to be a part of the a part of the strategy for any company. Yes. My guest has been Dr. Jay Shaw. Jay, I wondered if you could leave us with a message to patients that they are being heard and how they can take more control than driving their own uh, patient journey. Sure. I think the, the best thing for patients to do is to realize that really you are in the driver's seat and to be proactive in every way that you can, again, in partnership with your physician, the best interactions and the best outcomes that I have as a physician is when I have a patient who's really feels empowered and proactive. And so they bring me, when they come to the office, they come prepared. They come with lots of information, questions, and they take notes and they I help them the best I can, give them the perspective that I can help them with. And they take that and say, okay, I'm going to internalize that and I'm going to turn it into a new action plan for myself. And they go and run with it. That's the best, that's the best thing that, that I see as a physician. And that's the, those are the, sort of the best outcomes uh, from patients. So I think using all the tools at your disposal, trustworthy tools, for sure, the one, those that have been scientifically validated, but using those tools and really just being proactive and, and realizing that you're in charge of your health more than anyone else's. Hmm. Very encouraging. Thanks for that inspiration. My guest has been Dr. Jay Shaw. His clinical background includes senior medical positions at Mayo Clinic at Portland Medical Center, and now leading the medical strategy and development at a company called Actia in the digital health and hypertension monitoring space. Dr. Shaw, it's really been a pleasure talking with you. Thanks for coming on the show. Likewise, Mark. It's great to be here. And listeners, continue to come back to our show. We'll continue these interviews with medical executives and with patient advocates. For now, I'm Mark Stinson. We want to learn what we need to hear when the patients speak. Thanks for listening to The Patients Speak. 
Healthcare Innovations Accelerating the Patient Journey with best-selling author Mark Stinson. Our podcast is hosted on Captivate.fm so you can listen wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe now so you won't miss an episode of The Patients Speak. This podcast is produced by BSB Media. We also host another show you might enjoy, Unlocking Your World of Creativity. It's a top-rated podcast featuring interviews with creators around the world. We help you gain the confidence and connections to launch your creative work out into the world. Look for Unlocking Your World of Creativity on your favorite podcast app.